I was skeptical about ordering foundation online. I can't even find a match in stores. Then I discovered Il Makiage. Their online quiz found my exact shade in seconds. With Try Before You Buy, you can try your full-size shade at home free for 14 days. But I was obsessed on day one. It's so lightweight and natural. It's literally my skin in a bottle. Take the quiz at ilmakiage.com slash quiz. That's I-L-M-A-K-I-A-G-E dot com slash quiz. This is BBC Trending, the program that takes an investigative look at the world of social media. I'm Mike Wendling. This week, we're looking at men's rights activists. Some of them hold controversial views like this. So if a woman just, let's say, refuses to have sex with her husband for a very long period of time he might want to have sex with her against her will. It's it's a tricky situation. I do think that you technically as a man could rape a woman as a, you know, could rape as a marriage partner. But I think it happens less frequently than maybe a lot of women say. Um, I don't know. So what is going on here? Our reporter Jonathan Griffin has been investigating. Hi Mike. Yeah, men's rights have been a big deal online for quite some time. On Facebook and Reddit, groups supporting the movement have built up thousands, sometimes even hundreds of thousands of members. And they meet in real life as well. So last year, I went to Chicago, along with my colleague Alvaro Alvarez, a filmmaker, to the International Conference on Men's Issues. This conference says it wants to deal with the social and legal issues that disproportionately affect men and boys. It sounds straightforward, but the gathering wasn't without controversy. Even before this conference began... A British politician called it a gathering of insecure and sexist man-babies. So what's really going on here? The first conference was organised in Detroit in 2014 by one of the world's largest men's rights websites. Since then, it's bounced around the world. But the Southern Poverty Law Centre, an American organisation which tracks extremists has categorised the organisers as a male supremacist hate group, noting their founder, Paul Elam, once declared October Bash a Violent Woman Month. Only he didn't say woman, but a pretty offensive word in its place. He added that women should, quote, keep their stinking hands off people, or men should, quote, literally grab them by their hair and smack their face against a wall. The conference this time is held in a large hotel on the outskirts of the Windy City. Hundreds of people from around the world have gathered to hear speeches and panels with names like Why Toxic Masculinity is Not to Blame for Mass Shootings and The Feminist Campaign to Demonise Male Sexuality. So Jonathan, who goes to an event like this? Well, as you may suspect, Mike, the majority of the attendees are men. As with any group, men's rights activists are hard to define, particularly as a member of the media. So I asked a couple of men's rights activists, or MRAs, to explain how they view feminism. Now, feminism's quite a nebulous idea, but it basically says that men and women should have equal rights, and it highlights areas where things may need to be levelled up for women. Okay, my name is... Sven. It's in, in, I'm, I'm from Iceland. We criticise feminism when it's promoting that women are victims. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm from Munich in Germany. Feminists always say it. It's all about power. I call them the psychopaths and I call them the victims. It's not cheap to travel to the US from Europe. 
but both Sven and Daniel have given up their time, and Dosh, to travel the Atlantic and be here. Someone else who's made that long journey is Philip Tanzer. He says he came across a video on YouTube from one of the conference organisers several years ago, and it led him to go down the, quote, rabbit hole. Now he's a confident men's rights activist with his own YouTube channel. So I asked him what characteristics define his fellow conference attendees. Almost everybody in this room is a social outcast. When you are in a crowd, can you identify the outsiders? Yes, you can. Simple as that. In his view, it sounds like these men are just outcasts, lost boys. Yeah, but Philip also has some sharp differences of opinion with some of the other attendees. He tells me that last night he had a strong disagreement at the conference with a MGTOW. Now, MGTOW means men going their own way. And these guys say that male self-preservation requires disassociating completely from women. Now that sounds pretty extreme. Yeah, they're advocating walking away from relationships, forgetting about marriage, even disentangling economically. The full works. Now it may sound like a fringe movement, but on Reddit they have a community of over 18,000 members. I asked Philip to introduce me to one of the MGTOWs. I do not have to sent you to talk to a person that I had a fight with yesterday. But I, I don't understand why you won't introduce us to this guy. We know that your viewpoints are different to his. Yeah, correct. But I do not know how you're going to edit the interviews. You know what? This gets at the heart of two important things about the men's rights movement. Number one, Men's rights activists come from a range of backgrounds. The people there are anti-feminist, but they have a vast spectrum of views on ways to handle feminism. For Philip, the MGTOW way is just too extreme. Number two, those in the movement have a real distrust of media organisations. They claim that the media don't report fairly on them. In fact, in a recent YouTube video, the event organisers of the conference claim that by getting an academic to critique the conference, the BBC was returning to the sweet womb of lies. What's two plus two? So that's a flavour of some of the people. What kinds of messages were coming from the speakers? Well, this is really important. So the conference is split into two main rooms. We'll call them Room A and Room B. Now, Room A is the main room, and it's really big, hosting hundreds of people. It hosts speakers on the culture war. These are conflicts that have polarised society, like whether social justice has infiltrated gamer spaces. Now, we're going to come back to this room later. Room B is significantly smaller. The speakers in here tend to focus on specific issues, things like male circumcision, how to navigate the modern dating scene, and paternity fraud, you know, cases where men are tricked into thinking that they're fathers. This room also hosts a number of talks about domestic violence. One of the speakers claims that domestic violence by females is at least as frequent as that by males. My colleague Alvaro asked Philip what he thought of the speech. 50% of domestic violence is actually perpetrated by both partners. So it's a toxic relationship rather than one partner um, is the aggressor and the other one is the victim. So I have here figures of um, the Office for National Statistics in the UK, which is an official body. 
an estimated 7.9% of women and 4.2% of men experienced domestic abuse in the last year. This means almost twice percent of women experience domestic abuse than men. So these are stats from the UK's official statistics body. And other organizations have also looked into this question and come to the same conclusion. I do not believe this statistic. And I don't believe the statistics that are heard just now. Philip just doesn't accept the statistics that women are more likely to be victims of domestic abuse. He does not. Now, Tracy Farrell is an expert in this area. She works with the Social Data Research Group at the Knowledge Media Institute of the UK's Open University. She says that the idea of men being the real victims is a trope that she's found researching different types of anti-female behaviour online. Something which we called flipping the narrative, which was presenting the idea that women hold most of the political and personal power, and that it is men who are subjugated by feminism. Back at the conference, another of the speakers on domestic violence is Mark B. Rosenthal. He's a short, thin man with a pastel yellow short sleeve shirt and a slightly anxious smile. He claims he's always dreamed of bringing attention to female-perpetrated domestic violence. So I asked him more about his story. My mother would attack either verbally or physically. And it took me a good somewhere between 10 and 15 years before I finally felt normal. I mean, I was constantly depressed and thinking of committing suicide. And I knew to some extent that my sister had been affected the same way. But um, she was fighting the same battle, and she lost. And I'm sorry. Uh, give me a second. Obviously, you know, when I got the news, I was devastated. And my version of go out in the world and make it a better place is go out and tell the public that there is this big piece of the domestic violence story that they don't know anything about and don't believe, and they need to go help that population of people too. And over the years, I realized that the battered women's movement They didn't want to hear the version of the story that I was telling. They didn't want to hear a person's real lived experiences. It's clear that Mark has gone through a lot. He says he's been the victim of serious violence in the family home. And he also says that he feels male victims of domestic abuse don't get the attention they deserve. And a lot of the attendees here would agree with him. So even though it doesn't change reality you can see how experiences of some of the men speaking might lead them to discount official statistics. It's in the other room, room A, where the biggest crowds congregate. This is where the headline speakers talk about the culture war and social media headlines are made. One of the keynote speeches on this stage comes from Count Dankula, real name Marcus Meachin, a comedian and YouTuber with 700,000 followers. Now, if I remember correctly, he was involved in a court case. He trained his girlfriend's dog to give a Nazi salute and then put it on YouTube. Yeah, and he was arrested and fined under UK law. Now, at that time, a lot of comedians with a lot of different political views came out to defend him in free speech. But he's been particularly associated with people on the anti-politically correct right. At this conference, he's encouraged to push the boundaries of his humour 
once again. What's the most offensive joke you've ever told? I see your point about distrust of media organizations. The final keynote speaker on the final day of the conference is another YouTuber, Sargon of Akkad. His real name is slightly more basic, Carl Benjamin. He described himself to me as an internet provocateur. Now, both Marcus Meachin and Carl Benjamin rack up huge numbers of views online, but they don't exactly have mainstream support. A year ago, they both stood in European Parliament elections in the UK and got a tiny percentage of the vote. Outside of YouTube's subcultures, if people have heard of Benjamin at all, it's because of a joke he made about whether or not he would rape a British Member of Parliament. A lot of people found it very offensive. On YouTube, Benjamin is a man of large reach, with videos of over 300 million views, but in person he's a short man of compact frame, with little grey whiskers poking through his beard and a passion for black shirts. To add to the ideological confusion of this conference, Benjamin acknowledges on stage he's not a men's rights activist. So what is he doing giving a keynote speech at a men's rights conference? But I've always been very sympathetic because I'm a liberal activist, and so... And so I'm happy to come here and support them because the media is very, very cruel to them. When it comes to issues of child custody and also there's been numerous sessions and seminars here about suicide, important issues, you don't think men are getting a fair treatment from the media or from feminist groups. Do you think that sometimes your own language and language and the humour doesn't always translate through to how the media report on things? acts almost as a divide between men's rights activists and people at home. You think, um, when, I, when I was talking about the hegemonic nature of feminism, that kind of tone policing, that's part of it. That's all I have to say about it. We don't owe anyone a particular style or culture. Um, they're doing nothing illegal. They can tell the jokes that they want to tell. They're free to do that. And if the feminist movement doesn't like it, well, the feminist movement can go run and jump off a bridge. Honestly, the feminist movement is, is very, very cruel these days. But don't say something that they might find offensive. No, I'm actually quite enjoying offending them. Do you think that this tone actually works for either of you when it comes to the big issues, those things of male suicide, child paternity cases and things like that? Does it really enhance either side and help build a coalition? They're not interested in a coalition. This Are is, you, though? Uh, not really. I don't think they can be worked with. Jonathan, for people who go on about logic and reason, I'm hearing a lot of garbled thought and appeal to emotion. Earlier we heard people denying official statistics and talking about a range of personal experiences, and now a YouTuber who says he's an activist, but seems more concerned with waging a culture war. Yeah, and it's a point that's not lost on some of the attendees. Back home in Scotland, Philip, the men's rights activist we met earlier, recorded a YouTube video about his thoughts on the conference. The big criticism at this year's conference that the men's issues were a little bit in the shadow of the culture war. Tracy Farrell from the Open University says the same thing happens in online spaces too. The focus on the culture war and the language that goes with it snatches attention away from some of the other life or death issues that men are trying to raise. If the attempt is activism, I'm not sure if this is the most 
effective way of going about it because unfortunately uh, what people tend to focus on is the vitriol inside of these groups. A lot of the what, what could be considered legitimate issues get overlooked. So there you have it. Last year at this conference in Chicago, I basically found two groups. One was trying to campaign on issues that matter to them. Male suicide, the court system, domestic violence, circumcision. Sometimes they may be selective in their evidence or statistics, but these men are convinced that they're victims and they want to change that. But then there's the other group, the culture warriors. They're against political correctness and they say they're for freedom of speech, dismissing feminism as cruel and yet saying to hell with feminists. These culture warriors say whatever they like and in this environment, yes, they can make off-colour jokes without anybody taking exception. But in the outside world, some people do take offence at their words, their tweets, their YouTube videos. On stage, they call these people wussies and snowflakes. And as a result, some of them build up huge followings. But the question is, do these internet provocateurs do any favours for that other group of campaigners? Online and at the conference, it was pretty clear to me, these culture warriors are dragging attention away from other serious men's issues. Cause if boys will be boys and we do the best that we can Cover for our brothers while we suffer from our own hands Boys will be boys, that's the way that this thing goes That's it this week for the BBC Trending Podcast. Thanks to Jonathan Griffin, to Ana Lucia Gonzalez, to Alvaro Alvarez and Lucy Proctor. Alvaro's video from the conference is fascinating, and you can watch it online. Just search YouTube for Ex-Porn Star and Activist Explores Men's Rights Issues. If you want to message us with your thoughts on this story, or anything else really, you can always email me. My email is michael.wendling, W-E-N-D-L-I-N-G, at bbc.co.uk. You can also look us up on social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. And one more thing before we go, we'd like to recommend this podcast from our colleagues at the BBC World Service. Summer 1940. Adolf Hitler was poised to invade Britain. German bombers struck British factories, airfields, towns and cities. Stopping the onslaught took a very special plane, the best fighter plane in the world. The Spitfire. Before a plane could save a country, the people had to build it. The enemy is making preparations for the invasion of Britain. How are we going to meet and overcome this danger? The plane would be assembled in the communities it was designed to protect. Towns and villages were new Spitfire factories. The planes built by a fresh generation of young men and women. This is the story of the people who built the plane that won the war. Spitfire, the people's plane. A brand new podcast from the BBC World Service. Just search for Spitfire, the people's plane, wherever you get your podcasts. I have a secret. I wore the wrong foundation for years. Then I discovered Il Maquillage, the boldest new brand in beauty. With 20,000 five-star reviews and 50 shades of flawless coverage, their Woke Up Like This foundation is a bestseller for a reason. It's tough buying foundation online, but their Power Match quiz matched me perfectly. And with Try Before You Buy, you can try your shade free for 14 days. 
Take the quiz at ilmakiage.com slash quiz. That's I-L-M-A-K-I-A-G-E dot com slash quiz.